Welcome to the Men's Divorce Podcast, brought to you by the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. I'm your host, Sean Garrison, editor of dadsdivorce.com, and I'm joined today by Cordell & Cordell managing partner and CEO, Scott Trout. Scott, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks. On today's show, we're discussing the different issues that dads face when trying to obtain primary custody of their child. Uh, so to start with, Scott, can uh, you kind of talk about when a client approaches you who is a dad um, and wanting to obtain custody, what's your typical response? Um, I ask this because historically the courts have kind of tended to favor mothers in custody cases. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if fathers, do they still have that sort of uphill climb? Yeah. So when guys come in the office... It, they'll they'll throw the word around custody pretty loosely because it means something different to a lot of people and the varying laws across the state. So the first question is simply, okay, you want custody, what does that mean to you? And I'll really press them and ask them, what do they want? Uh, because I'll explain that custody is really a label. Uh, specifically, and we can talk a little bit about the differences later on in the show, uh, the difference between physical and legal. And so I start there. Tell me what do you want? What's going to make you happy? And I'll try to play into that meaning of I want custody. And, and the reason we do that is because it is guys are at a disability uh, when it comes to seeking custody. And whether or not that is uh, what I'll call primary or the most of the time. Uh, but I try to get them away from those stereotypical roles the, the, and using the tag of primary custody because guys can have, and I'll explain to them, hey, you know what? I can create a schedule where you have 50-50 time, but mom is the primary custodial parent. And if you can get over the notion that she has a label because all that matters is time, then we do that. And that's kind of really where we start. That's kind of the approach. We, we try to make sure we just figure out what the client wants. Sure. And you mentioned it there, um, the different types um, of custody. Can you go into the definitions of those and just explain what, what kind of the differences are? So along those lines, when we talk about what do you want, we do break it down. Let's talk about time and let's talk about decisions. And those are the two differences. No matter where you go throughout the country, there are different uh, labels for those, um, but you know they're universally two different roles. Uh, primary custody, sharing time—that is the physical amount of time you spend with your child, whether it's overnights, daytimes, dinners, lunches, holidays. That's what I call the physical part of your custody situation. And then I usually tell guys what they really want to focus on uh, is the legal part as well. If we can solve and make them happy with the time they spend ignoring the label, then we want to focus on what's called legal custody. And that is really being dad. That is the joint decision making uh, about the major decisions on health, education, and welfare. So choice of doctor, uh, you know, whether you have a surgery, a major medical treatment, a choice of school, private or public, a choice of a high school, choice of college. Uh, continuing those studies, whatever that may be, those are the major decisions that you want to be a part of, that you must be a part of. So we implore guys to make sure that they don't discount the legal side, that they really focus on making sure that they have at a minimum joint legal custody so that mom and dad just are mom and dad. They may not be in the same home or in the same roof, but they should continue to what I call meet, confer, and agree 
on those major decisions that affect kids' lives. And so those really are the two, from a, a legal standpoint, the, the types of custody that you'll see. And then there are variances on the physical as it relates to the amount of time. Right. And as an attorney, what, um, what are some of the steps you do when you're preparing for a, for a case in which your client is trying to gain custody? Um, what, what factors are you concerned about that, that a court's going to look at when kind of making that decision? So the, the first steps really are to counsel clients. Uh, they come in the door. We want to talk to them about what has done, what has happened in history and what can we do to prepare them to achieve their goals. And so uh, you know, really is we have to break it down. Many guys come in and they we talk about their case in windows. Instead of looking at it as a panoramic view, it can be overwhelming. Uh, it, you know, it's too much information uh, overload. Uh, one of the most stressful, difficult times of their life. So we break it down into small windows. Let's talk about goals. Then we want to counsel them on how to achieve their goal. And that can include a lot of things, some proactive tips, uh, be involved, uh, parent-teacher conferences. You know, the worst I've experienced is client gets on the stand and they're asked, what's your te- uh, your child's teacher's name? They have no idea. Uh, what size shoe do they wear? And they're stumped. What about their shirt? What kind of pants? What size are their pants? They don't know. What are their, just give me one friend and they can't answer it. Uh, now, while that may be unimportant in the grand scheme of things, from a judge's perspective, it, it shows perhaps maybe a lack of concern, a lack of attention, a lack of involvement. So that's part of what we do proactively in, in some of the first meetings when we set some of the, uh, the strategies to meet their goals. And so along those lines, it is parent-teacher conferences. You know, typically if you're full-time employed and working you know, your way up the ladder in the corporation, you don't get a chance to go to parent-teacher conferences, or you may rely on your wife who's a stay-at-home parent, but it's time where you make those changes and you start attending the parent-teacher conferences, getting involved. The first thing I tell clients is shoot an email to that teacher tonight. Say, hey, how's Johnny doing? Uh, I noticed some of his homework, he got a C. Start that dialogue with the teacher and make sure that they know who you are, because I can tell you I've seen teachers come in and say, I, I, don't, I couldn't even point out Mr. Johnson in a lineup. I've never met him. I've never spoken to him. I've never heard from him. I've never dialogued with him. And so that's part of the proactive um, stance that we take with clients it's in preparation. That includes things like doctor visits, pediatricians, dentists, uh, nothing worse than getting the notes. Believe it or not, when uh, your child goes to the doctor, and the nurse triages your child coming in, just getting some vitals, they'll write down, uh, child presents with mom, or child presents with both parents. All an attorney has to do is get those records, introduce them to show that historically, and we'll talk about kind of um, what are the things and what do courts look at, but that's the worst case scenario is that you testify, oh yeah, I'm, I'm thoroughly involved and go to doctor visits, but get cross-examined with a record that shows that, no, you don't. And so that's another issue is taking the doctor, taking the checkups, going to the dentist, orthodontist, whatever it may be. Uh, Along those lines, know their friends. Uh, Be involved with their friend's parents. 
uh, engage them in the neighborhood, know who the neighbors are. Uh, again, know the teacher's names, the assistant's names, the principal. Uh, and I, and it sounds so basic, but know even the school's name. Um, it is, or the room number or the room color, like they have colors, like he's in the red class. Uh, it really requires a reflection of the things that you do and you don't know. And then we want you to record those, put them down in a diary, in a journal and start, you know, engaging in an active role. And, uh, it's all about knowledge base and having enough information so that when you prepare for achieving your goals, the court then will analyze it uh, in terms of what those factors are. And I know, I think you asked me kind of one of the things that the court may look at. And so everything I just talked about, while the states all have different factors uh, as it relates to custody, there there's a recurring theme in all of them. And I can speak specifically on Missouri, just because I'm licensed here, uh, has eight factors. And the court's required to go down through all of them. Um, some of them are the wishes of the parents, uh, the, the willingness or the likelihood of one parent to provide custody to the other, the extent to which a, a parent is engaged in the child's life historically, his interaction with siblings or other people that may be a, a big factor in the child's life. Uh, it could be as well um, as the location where the parent is living. So change of school may be a big factor. But interestingly, uh, I always have a client that says, well, my child wants to live with me. So will that weigh in? And in Missouri specifically, which is very different than a place like Georgia, Missouri, it's the eighth and last factor in the court's decision, meaning that the court should give it the least weight possible. I'm licensed in Georgia, similarly, where kids, depending upon their age, uh, it can be an absolute factor and it can be binding on the court so long as the, the child's wishes are reasonably and legitimately based. And so those are some of the things the court's going to look at um, as we relate to preparing for your case and what we're going to present in your case and then how the court will analyze those factors. But predominantly questions are who's historically been the caretaker and we work from there. What role can outside witnesses, such as, say, a child's uh, psychologist or, or a child's pediatrician play um, in, in a custody case? So representing guys, you never want to get into a he said, she said, because you'll lose. Uh, it just statistics will show you're going to have to have external evidence, uh, external facts, something that supports your allegations uh, what your factual support is. And so it's often that we will tell clients that it's critical and absolutely necessary that you employ a psychologist, perhaps someone who will do a custodial evaluation. So what they do is psychologists will come in uh, with court approval, interview mom and dad, uh, perhaps even interview the child or children, and then uh, observe both mom and dad individually and collectively in terms of their interaction uh, with the child or children, as well as provide some testing, uh, some psychological testing, just some baseline things. And then they will make a report and provide ultimately a recommendation to the court as to custody. And they can only do that recommendation 
when they've interviewed both parents. So that's not the only way you can employ a psychologist. We've done it historically where we don't have a full evaluation, but we have a psychologist come in and talk simply about dad's relationship with the child and then doesn't make a recommendation, but in in a sense is making a recommendation because they're saying, you know, I observe the child, I observe dad, their interaction is strong. It's obvious through their uh, communications, through dad's behavior, that their communi- that their relationship is very strong and that anything different than what they're doing currently would be detrimental. So in and of itself, it's a recommendation. But you've got to have a psychologist on board if you want to have a chance at more than 50-50, especially if you don't have super bad facts like drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Um, those things are game changers in custody cases where you would still going to want an expert. Um, but absent that, you're going to have to have a reason better than you just being dad. It's going to have to be coupled with facts where you're the primary caretaker, uh, that you know there are certain elements in your life that will lend itself to the best interest of the child. Because all things considered, dads still face a battle. There is no 50-50, I think, consideration. It just is what it is. Even though the times are changing in which uh, we see women uh, are increasing their roles as being the primary breadwinner, uh, and we see guys staying at home, and we're still fighting those stereotypes or what I call the traditional roles, uh, and making sure we break through that. Because judges, I'd say, still have a difficult time when we present a case where dad stays at home. Uh, Their natural reaction may be, why doesn't he go to work? And so our response is, well, you wouldn't say that to mom. And so uh, employing a psychologist is just critical. I mean, there are a number of other witnesses, including pediatricians, teachers, um, whomever that you may have exposure yourself in addition to your child that you're going to want to come testify. Because again, when it's a he said, she said, you lose. So you want um, secondary verifying testimony or evidence from someone unrelated to you or who has no interest in your case. It can't be your best friend. Uh, It certainly can't be your parents or your sister. I mean, it can be. But the point is you don't want to rely on someone whose interest is aligned with you. Uh, A great witness is your spouse's parents. We've had that on a number of occasions where uh, we call to testify the spouse's parents and they come in and they testify for our client. That is a home run where, you know, we can say, well, don't you believe your daughter should have custody? Well, actually, no, I think our our son-in-law is probably a better parent. That's, that's difficult, but it's huge. And then again, the drug testing, we talked a little bit about it, but if you're going to make an allegation of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, you're going to have to have an expert. You're going to have to have drug testing. You're going to have to have an alcohol uh, expert come in. And then lastly, one of the maybe most overlooked uh, potential issues of employing an expert is parental alienation syndrome. So we give uh, these seminars around the country uh, to guys for free. And uh, every time, without fail, I'll ask guys in the room, how many have heard of a parental alienation? And one, maybe two, the minority of cities I'm in, two people raise their hand. So if you're out there and you're listening, what is parental alienation, which I'm sure most of you don't know, I would Google it. 
uh, it is again an overlooked aspect that I think occurs in probably 95% of the divorces. And in order to prove up parental alienation, you're going to have to get an expert, uh, typically a psychiatrist, a psychologist, who can come in and provide some theory, some backup to this theory, because it's not yet a um, recognized standard in psychology. But it is being used among a number of courts around the country. And the best way while you're you're hearing this, me describe it, is to describe exactly what parental alienation is. And it's easily described as this. You move out of the house. Mom stays with the kids. Uh, you're coming over for a regular custody visit. And she doesn't answer the door. You know she's home, but she's refusing to answer the door. Your children don't know you're there. And so you leave. And the children ask mom, well, why is not dad pick me up? And her response is, well... I love you, but your dad has a new family and he has a new girlfriend and she has a child and I'll always be here for you, even though he doesn't love you. And I'm sorry he doesn't come around anymore, which keep in mind, these are all lies. And that is so damaging to a child that it forever shifts the cause of the breakup of this family to you and only you. So that type of behavior reoccurs over and over, whether it be you know, why didn't dad show up for my birthday? Well, he did, but she's lying to your child, making sure to turn the child on dad. That is devastating. If you've, you know, I have unfortunately seen it on a number of occasions for 10, 15 years of parental alienation, even pre, uh, during and post-divorce, and it's devastating. So in order to prove it, in order to use it, uh, you must uh, employ a child psychologist. Uh, someone who can testify to it, who has experience with it. And let me tell you, if you can, if you're unfortunately the recipient of it and you're fortunate enough to find an expert, it'll be devastating testimony in a trial as it relates to seeking custody. So, you know, those are kind of all the sources just as it relates to custody. There are so many others as it relates to the other issues in family law, financially, uh, property wise, but when you represent guys, it's almost a must and it's an absolute. You're going to have a whole host of third-party witnesses unrelated, including child psychologists. Sharon, can you think of any other issues that guys might not think of that can complicate uh, their case for custody? So during our interview process, when guys come in and we talk about their goals, um, the, the question I ask them and I tell them, look, I need you, one, to think about it before you answer, and two, I want you to be absolutely 100% honest and even think of something that is so small that could be used. So the question is, what's the worst thing or things that your wife is going to say about you? A lie or truth? You know, whether she's telling the truth or whether she's telling a lie, what are those things? And I don't care what they are. And I always premise it by saying, whatever you say to me, uh, it's not embarrassing. Uh, whatever you say to me, I probably heard because I, I, probably for the last 10 years, uh, there hasn't been a fact or um, an activity or an, an issue or consequence or whatever it may be in family law that I haven't heard. And so I said the smallest of things can be the biggest of issues. And so those are the things that you want to know. And it could be a, a past conviction for a client. You know, it was a DWI. Well, he had a lawyer take care of it and didn't show up as a conviction. Still going to be used against you. 
um, drug use, occasional drug use. Whatever it may be legal in your state to uh, use marijuana, it's still going to be used against you. Um, a previous order of protection against a girlfriend uh, or or an ex spouse, um, any family law related issues will come up and be used against you. I mean, they're just, they complicate it. And a judge is looking to a guy and they have to be perfect. And, and it seems like an unreasonable, impossible standard, but it's, it's unreasonable, but it's not impossible. We don't want the court to have any chance to deviate from hearing what our message is and hearing what your strategy and what, why you should achieve it. There, you know, side issues like a girlfriend, uh, you have a girlfriend during the separation. It's a complication. It's, you know, I always tell my clients, look, if you can deal without it, my recommendation is to not do it. It's just, it's a distraction uh, from what the real issues are. You know, my job is to do the same thing to your wife, is to distract the court from seeing who she really is. That would include uh, even Facebook use, social media. Uh, those are issues that can arise Throughout, you know, the recommendation is always never use social media during your divorce. I know it's uh, it's cool and it's, you know, everybody uses it, but it complicates it. I can take a picture that you post and turn it into something that it's not. Uh, we can create chaos in your claim for custody just by a post or whatever it may be. Uh, and so I think those are things that complicated, uh, not knowing the facts. We've talked a lot about that earlier, about knowing everything about your kid, a day in the life, the classes, um, knowledge, or the lack of knowledge, the lack of information complicates your case. And then having friends, family members uh, who have issues. Uh, you may be the cleanest whistle in, you know, in the family, but if you surround your children or your child with people who, albeit related to you, have issues, whether it be criminal, uh, people they hang out with, things that they do, um, th things that they view, they read, whatever they watch, could be a babysitter, <clears throat> not all those things. Again, distractions. So what you want to focus on is eliminating every distraction that you can conceive of, that a court would look at and be interested in. And simply focus on your message. Uh, if you can stay on point, and it's not easy, but it takes uh, practice, it takes focus, hiring uh, competent counsel to guide you down that road to ensure that uh, the court isn't distracted. Now, all is not lost if you have those distractions. What it means is, as I started this conversation, is answering that question as honestly as you can and as fully as you can. That is, who is it? What's the worst thing they're going to say? And then we follow that up with what's the worst they're going to say about your family? Worst thing they're going to say about your friends? Is there anything in your history that I could come up with and use against you? Again, it may never be used. It may never come up, but it's information that's important. It's information that can be used against you. And if you lose the attention of the judge, uh, then the case is over. Uh, that's just a huge factor as it relates to uh, seeking custody. 
And what about after the dust has settled and custody has been determined? How challenging then does it become for two ex-spouses to work together um, as co-parents? And what can they do to sort of help that relationship as as they mm-hmm. go along and try to raise their kids? Uh, every jurisdiction has um, what I'll call parenting classes. And I know that sounds corny. Uh, you know, for example, here, you know, kids in the middle or children's first. It really teaches you how to communicate with an ex-spouse and how not to put the kids in the middle uh, because that is one of the things that can hurt the most is either allegations subsequently on a motion to modify that you're using the kids or placing them in the middle of discussions in which are adult in nature. Um, but it is something that's so important that you, and I always talk about this and that is you stay focused on your goal and that is putting your child's needs over your disagreements with your ex-spouse. And, and it's easy for me to say that. But if you approach every conversation that uh, talks about legal custody, major decisions, health, education, and welfare, and if you can say, you know, I don't like my spouse or my ex-spouse, I actually hate her. But if you can put that aside and say, look, I've got to get through this conversation. And the only way to do it is to make sure that um, I'm civil, uh, I'm appropriate. Uh, it, it can be a short conversation, direct uh, it is important that you do that uh, to is put aside every disagreement personally and only focus on your kids' issues. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to, you know, ma- waving a magic wand and you're going to agree on everything. So what we do is we take that to the next step. So if you can get aside from who caused the breakup and what nastiness went through the divorce, how much money you had to spend to get the case resolved. And then what you do is every communication subsequent to the divorce that relates to the kids uh, is confirmed in writing or had in writing. Uh, again, avoid the he said, she said. So I'll tell my clients, like, if you had that phone conversation and you both agreed on an extracurricular activity, simply send an email that says, hey, thanks, I appreciate the call. Um, I'm glad we got to agree and uh, that uh, we put Johnny in soccer. You know, you don't want to say this is to confirm our agreement you know, because then she knows you're setting her up. The point is, is it's just a normal, friendly, hey, thanks for the call. I'm glad we agreed to put him in this. That seems less um, pressure or less obvious that what you're doing is confirming everything. But now you've created a historical document that can be used to show that was contemporaneous with your oral agreement as it relates to legal custody. So, I mean, it's very difficult to co-parent, especially the very reason perhaps that you got divorced was you couldn't communicate. So it's educate, uh, stay focused, uh, confirm. And then lastly, we talk about recommendations with clients, and that is uh, creating a diary or a journal, a day in the life uh, of what happens. Uh, It's much easier when you go to an attorney and and you have issues or concerns as it relates to custody, both physical and legal, as we've described the differences, to say, well, I kept a journal and I kept it contemporaneous with the event, meaning that I, when the event occurred, within reason, I went and wrote it down. Not a year later, I tried to reconstruct the events. Uh, You want to make sure that you did that, that you have this journal. A lawyer can go through it and then you can use it in court uh, to show that it it was a, a historical recordation of everything that occurred. And then I would do pictures. You know, 
keep yourself pictures, show yourself, not just of your child, but you with uh, showing exactly what's going on so that there's, you know, issues as it relates to uh, the custody, how to co-parent, uh, you know, what's going on. I mean, you can look at your demeanor in the pictures and then stay involved. I know that, you know, we talk about in the very beginning how we become proactive, but that has to stay post-divorce. And that includes doctor visits, teachers, staying actively involved. And for many guys, they're already involved. Uh, but it means stepping it up. You know, you have uh, in some states 18 to 22 years of dealing with your ex-spouse to try to raise your child. It's a long time, especially with someone you really don't like or don't agree with or don't get along with. Now, that's not the majority, but it, you know, using an extreme example. Uh, so it is continuing to learn how to communicate with someone like that. And, and then making sure, and I always tell my clients when they leave, uh, from here on forward, what you're doing is you're playing defense. You're assuring that to prepare a case in the event that she takes you back to court, that you have enough evidence, you have enough facts, that you can defeat any motion that she brings against you. Uh, so you can't you know, relax and rest necessarily. Uh, it's always a, a matter of preparation uh, and keeping things and documenting things it really is, and it saves attorney's fees. The more you do uh, for your client or for your attorney, the less expensive it becomes, the less fact gathering, the less things that the attorney has to do to try to reconstruct a defense for you, or even perhaps uh, being proactive. So um, when it does settle, it really is very difficult. So those are really the tips we tell our clients. But if I'm going to break it down to one thing, it's communicate and confirm in writing every single time and then save it. Just don't leave it on your computer. I'll print it out and I'll keep it in that diary or in that journal. Uh, that really, in the cases that I've dealt with on subsequent contempt motions, motions to modify have been case savers and winners. Uh, that we are, We've had clients that have been so organized, they put in a binder, a three ring binder, every single communication. And it was organized by month, by year, uh, it made life much easier and uh, led to a, a good, easy victory. Are there any other general tips you can think of uh, to give guys just pertaining to custody? You know, I think it's gathering as much information as you can. I mean, most guys, when we do these seminars at night, I always talk about uh, doctors had it right. Uh, when they begin to specialize in oncology, pediatrics, you know, whatever it is, very specific areas of medicine. Uh, they have it right, and they're, they're trying to do one thing well. So when guys are faced with, you know, our particular issue, whether it be family law, um, I always say it's like being diagnosed with cancer. You know, it's a devastating diagnosis, and you're going through divorce or you're going through post-divorce issues. So that means you go on the web, and you gather the information, you research your topic, you talk to other guys, uh, you go to dadsdivorce.com, you read the articles, you you know, you know get the books, you know, 10 stupidest mistakes guys make, and you just fill your brain with as much material as you can because it does equip you to make the right decisions because every decision you make has a, a consequence. And many guys aren't, um, they think that, oh, it's a, it's a minor thing I'm doing, and they discount the consequence or how the opposing counsel can use that action against you. And so education and knowledge, you know, it's the phrase knowledge is power. And it's so true. I mean, I can't think of an example. You know, I know when people get diagnosed with something or they 
feel bad or they have a symptom, they're immediately going to the web and they're researching it. Uh, I think guys don't do that enough in family law. Uh, they don't research enough. Now, there's a lot of bad advice out there, but it is about accumulating solid material, uh, getting on the web, finding out where lawyers who only do family law write articles and reading them and then having that consultation. You can't have a consultation soon enough. Uh, I can tell you many, many guys I meet with, they come in and they're just planning. It may be a year down the road, maybe two or maybe just a few months. Um, but it is staying on top of it, uh, making sure that you get what you need because the laws change. I mean, not only for us, we have to stay on top of it, but for clients. So they should uh, continually see what's going and what's changing and how often and how it affects their case. In fact, there was a Supreme Court case that came down uh, just today on family law. So it affects a lot of guys. So you want to make sure you stay on top of that uh, knowledge and consume information on family law. And that's what, the, you know, probably the biggest tip I can give guys. Sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Scott. I'm sure there are a lot of fathers out there who will find this information really useful. All right. Thanks a lot. For more tips to help with your child custody case, be sure to check out CordellCordell.com as well as DadsDivorceAndMensDivorce.com. You can also download the Men's Divorce Source app on the App Store. I'm Sean Garrison, editor of DadsDivorce.com. Thank you for listening.